Will Hardy talks about the three players you care about the most with insightful comments. And it's next on Locked on Jazz. But I'm bum 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 pow. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. It is the 27th of February edition of Locked On Jazz. Will Hardy talks about Ochai Baji's progression, what he wants out of Lowry Market in the final 20, and a huge statement about Walker Kessler. We're talking about all of those things coming up, plus late game watch. Four teams showed there on a totally different level from what I've seen otherwise, but a lot of really insightful stuff. Quinn Snyder's in Atlanta. And the Jazz just keep winning. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider, and this show is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for coming to Locked On Jazz as your first listen of the day. All right. Uh, Any win's a good win. Uh, Jazz beat the Spurs. Spurs aren't particularly good. Um, Jazz are currently sitting in eighth. There's a massive difference between between being seventh and eighth and ninth and tenth. Um, It's not, you know, how this plays out is not clear. The Lakers are charging. The New Orleans Pelicans are flailing. Um, We'll look at trends Monday today a little bit on our way out, uh, as well as a lot. uh, Did three late game watches. 76ers, Celtics, Phoenix, Milwaukee, and Lakers, Mavericks last night. So I'll have that for you um, here at the end. All right. Um, I want to get right to this because, frankly, I'm having so many technical issues with it. I'm not sure it's going to work. Um, but I thought Will Hardy made three comments this weekend, one about Ochai, one about Walker, one about Lowry, that were all super interesting. We're going to do Ochai, then we're going to do Lowry, and then we're going to do Walker. On the first two, the video's not working. So you'll just have to listen in. You'll get a nice, beautiful black screen. Um, in front of you, uh, but it's better than looking at my ugly mug in the morning. Uh, but I asked about Ochai and the free throws, which we've talked about on this show, and Will gets into a bunch of things here that are super interesting, and I'll talk about it on the backside. Ochai is sort of in a, he's been in a very natural progression this season in terms of he started and spent most of the beginning part of the year in the G League, and then he cracks into the rotation and he's playing very much off the ball a lot of times as a spacer and a cutter and <clears throat> playing a lot off closeouts and not getting a ton of opportunity in those minutes because he's not a focal point necessarily of what we're doing and then things change and your role on the team changes and you know in terms of like in some ways he's not a rookie anymore like you're 60 games in, it's time to sort of take that next step. And, you know, I, I've tried to make it clear to Ochai that, you know, I have belief in him and we have belief in him. And there's going to be moments now where you don't need to be as careful and you don't have to play perfect. You've earned these minutes that you're getting. You've earned your standing on this team. And you have to go for it a little bit. <clears throat> you know, the the flip side of that is I'll have to manage – you know, Ochai and some of the failure that may come with that. You go for it more. There's going to be more times that you don't succeed. Um, 
but I think that's that's the natural part of, of Ochai's progression this year. And so this last 22 games is very important for him, uh, how he approaches it, because I think, you know, this is a guy that's had a lot of success in his basketball life. Like he was national player of the year at Kansas. So to go from that, where you're very much the focal point of your college team, to then you're in the G League and you're sort of working your way into the rotation, it's about kind of unlocking that part of your brain again where you do go for it more. Um, and so we're here to help him with that. But Ochai's a great, a great kid, and he, he really competes. And so I, I have the utmost faith that he's going to make the most of the opportunity. So ton of things to build on here. The last one I think you've all seen is true. He is just a great kid. He's just delightful to talk to. He's got his degree. Spent four years at Kansas. He's mature. His parents have raised him. Just it sounds like a great house. His, his daughter, his sister, excuse me, was this high-level volleyball player. He traveled everywhere to go see, and then he's the next one through. The dad's the city manager um, in Kansas City, or city planner in Kansas City. His mom, I think, is a school teacher. Um, really neat family. Uh, the backstory even further is the dad is from Lagos, Nigeria. He's one of nine, the only one to come to the United States. They came to play, um, I think, junior college basketball and then goes to um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I think it was, um, or Wisconsin-Milwaukee, and uh, meets his wife there and has, has built a family here in America and stayed. So super interesting family. Um, I'm dying to meet the parents because they've raised just a wonderful Son, and I would guess that the daughter is right of the same ilk. Um, okay, so what did he... I thought the la, there's something that Will's talked about a lot, I think is really interesting, the idea of unlocking your brain. And I've actually heard it most often talking to veteran players like Rudy Gay or things where you actually have to change your brain kind of to understand who you are now compared to who you were then. This is an interesting concept that what you're, you're trying to do with Ochai right now is you're trying to get him to kind of... Un, he, he was playing as Will talks about early and it's like, okay, it's okay to make mistakes now, right? Like there is a level where these guys suddenly get time and their reaction a little bit is, well, I don't want to screw this up. And so then they play not to make mistakes. And, and then to Will's point that Ochai's playing was playing predominantly off the ball. And so he's playing a complimentary role. So he's really got to not be the guy he was at Kansas in those, in that circumstance and instead, you're seeing it. Like, he took 12 shots against Memphis. Got a bunch of guys were out that night. He took 11 shots without Oklahoma City. So without Colin suddenly in the last three games. And Colin takes a lot of offensive oxygen. Ochai realizes I got to pick up that oxygen. So he's taking 10 shots a game. Seven of them are threes. He's taking shooting 48% from the field and 38% from three. It hasn't seemed to hurt him, averaging 14 points a game. We're, we're just watching him kind of pick it up. Ever so subtly, obviously there was the you know the breakout game against Chicago when he goes seven of seven, kind of unrealistic thing, and then and then he's went one of his next seven from three, and now he's settled in. He's shooting it brilliantly. He's also gone from you know Will does this. We did it with he did it with Walker. Like he was playing 17, 20, 20, 20. All of a sudden it jumped to twenty five. Then it went back to seventeen, seventeen, seventeen. Now all of a sudden it's twenty nine, thirty eight, twenty two, thirty one. So we're seeing a larger role for Ochai, and he's closing games right now. And I think it's an interesting idea here that he want him to go for it and be unlocking that aspect of his brain is using Will Hardy's quotes and then understand like, okay, you now are going to start making a ton of mistakes, right? He had his only a second game all year with two turnovers the other night when we played Oklahoma City. Um, you're suddenly going to miss shots. You're suddenly going to get yourself into pickles. You're suddenly going to go for it and something's not going to happen 
exactly as you planned it. And that's okay. We still believe in you. It's really interesting to hear the communication from Will Hardy um, on these guys and, and how it goes. So it's it's cool to now watch for the final 20 games. And this is where, like, I there's a lot of discussion. Should we be winning? Should we be losing? You know what we should be doing is we should be developing the primary talent that are important for our future and letting them go. So Lowry late in games. Ochai getting more time. Walker anchoring a defense. These are the piece, Colin learning how to play in multiple roles. These are the piece, Talon learning how to play point guard because that's the position he's probably got to play if he's going to make in this league uh, for a long term. These are these are the things that are important. If it leads to wins, great. That's an added bonus. If it doesn't lead to wins, it's probably not the least that, that disastrous either. And that's kind of where we are is when people ask like, well, what, what are we trying to do? We're trying to get Ochai Abaji time and experience to become better. We're trying to get Walker Kessler experience anchoring the defense. They're closing games right now. You can't do much more than that. You're trying to get Lowry Markin to understand the burden of being the man. He's answering the bell uh, pretty amazingly. And you're trying to get, uh, you know, other aspects of it. So this is where I think, and we'll hear what he had to say about Lowry here in a second, and then we'll hear Walker um, from a different day. This was before the Oklahoma City game, these quotes I'm, I just pulled right there. So I think it's really interesting. I thought that was fascinating. It'll be super fun to watch Ochai for the next 22 games, and he is. He's just a easiest kid in the world to root for. I heard it a lot from Kansas fans uh, before we got him, uh, but this has certainly been the truth uh, so far. Uh, today's show is brought to you by our good friends over at Murdoch Chevy, located in Woods Cross, also located in Logan, the Chevy lineup, the truck, the Silverado, and the Colorado. There's nothing like a Chevy truck. And there's nothing like the Murdoch family with over 80 years of commitment to Utah, making sure you have the no regrets experience. So if you're looking for a Chevy truck, you're looking for any type of truck, go look at the Silverado and the Colorado and do it with the Murdochs in Woodcross or in Logan. Feel free to email me first at dlock09 at gmail.com. I'll get you set up with a VIP experience over at Murdoch, if you're looking for the SUVs, we know the top line of the Chevys. That's the Utah County Assault Vehicles. That is, come on, smile. That was funny. That is the Suburban. That is the Tahoe, but also the Traverse now in there with the Trailblazer and the Blazer all getting it done. And the Bolt is the Chevy electric car. The Silverado's coming in electric as well. It's all at Murdoch Chevy, located in Woods Cross and in Logan. Feel free to email me first at dlock09 at gmail.com. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Prize Picks, a great way to get involved in the game and have some fun with Prize Picks. Prize Picks, 100% deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That's 100% deposit match with the promo code locked on. How does it work? You pick two to six players, and if they go score more or less than the Prize Picks projections, you can win up to 25% of your money on an entry. No competing against other people. It's you versus projections available. Prize Picks offers projections on any sport. On any sport. I can list them all for you, but you know what they are. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Safe and fast and easy withdrawals. Download the Prize Picks app now or go to prizepicks.com and sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users receive 100% Instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, you get $100. Deposit $50, you get $50. Deposit $72.50, you get $72.50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. All right, let's go back to our good, our head coach, Will Hardy. I was going to say our good friend, but I don't think he, you know, we're like not having, we're not like 
breaking bread. We're not like, there's not, there's not lock hearty family dinners going on here. Though his kids are cute. We'd have his kids. He could go to dinner. We're like empty, almost empty nesters. We'll start it over. All right, let's go to uh, his comments about Lowry. Um, and I really think that to kind of the number one question everyone's asking him going on Dave Fox's show tonight, and, he, you know, that's what he's asking. Well, what, what, what are we doing? What, what, what are the expectations? Like, I, I think this is the answer. Like, I think these are the answers right here to these questions of, you know, where are we and what are we doing um, so far? So here is, um, you know, or what is the goal in the final 20 games? Here's what Will said about Lowry, who was fourth quarters the last two games have been really mammoth and awesome. But this was said before the Oklahoma City game. Lowry, uh, it's about his presence now. He accomplished that goal. He's played great basketball for the first 60 games. Um, That's why he was an all-star and it was well-deserved. But, you know, right now it's about stepping into sort of a different light with our team. His approach every day, the way that he carries himself is something that his teammates will follow and will set the tone for the last 22 games of our season. Um, <clears throat> you know, with with being named an all-star, sometimes there, there comes some, like, pressure that you can put on yourself. You know, oh, I'm an all-star, and I feel like I have to play like an all-star every game. And, you know, I fully expect that Lowry's going to have plenty of good games, and I expect that there will be some tough nights. But I think that what he can control is his approach to practice, shoot-around, approach to the games. Um, and the way that he carries himself is going to have a huge impact on the demeanor of our team moving forward. Like right now, he he's the leader of our group, and that's something that you know he and I have spoken about, and that's a lot of responsibility. But it's something that he's ready for. There's been this is one's going to be hard for us to be able to see, right? This is over time. We're just going to have to learn. Um, there have been two things early. I think we've seen in his presence that shows some of this development. So one of them is certainly the idea that uh, in-game intensity. You're like, he, he is certainly holding that um, to that in-game intensity, holding to uh, playing through the night. Like, both the last two games, Oklahoma City and San Antonio, he didn't seem to have it really rolling and then was able to fight through it to the point in which he was able to get going and, and make the plays and then carry it and then hit the dagger basically and win the ball game. Uh, scoring 16 of 20 in the Oklahoma City game and then just kind of knocking the Spurs out the other night. I will share with you that shoot-around, he's been... I, You know, it's hard to tell whether is it... Did you just notice it because you knew that Will was saying this and then he suddenly... He does seem a little bit more engaged. He's got a good... Uh, will shared this the other night. He's got a good, witty sense of humor. Um, he's kind of... He's not cutting, but it's fun. Um, you know, it was in Memphis, there were two moments one of which was kind of pure, just fun humor. Like he made everyone laugh in the middle of like a scouting report and everyone kind of chuckled and lightened the mood. And then the other one was kind of like a good, like dig, but like a very loving dig at Jordan Clarkson. And Clarkson busted up laughing hysterically. So you are seeing that other side of his personality, which is I think Lowry's natural instinct is to come into practice, head down, do his work, go home. Head down, do your work, go home. And what Will's saying is like, I need more out of you. I need you to lead. I need you to be not only the example and have a presence, but I need you to interact and I need you to kind of be the leader in the sense that if you put out the, hey, I'm having a good time and I enjoy it. He does have a great time every day. Like another kind of little, there's these little moments you can tell when someone's having a really, really good time. Um, Whether it's, you know, 
they're finishing a scouting report and it's kind of a dead second. He signals for an alley-oop and packs it. Like he just loves to be out there. Um, and those moments are, are, I think, are relevant to kind of who he is and what you're seeing out of him. Um, and that's what Will's, I think, asking a little bit and a little bit and a little bit more out of um, if it's possible um, to get that. Over. All right, let's go to Walker Kessler. This one actually should have display. And here is Will Hardy talking about uh, Walker Kessler. And I asked this question because the other night, Will had gotten upset with Walker uh, with about two and a half minutes left. And then um, Walker answered with the two big plays against Oklahoma City. And one of our storylines throughout the year has been kind of Walker's perfectionism and how Walker has to bounce back from those mistakes and not get buried and keep playing forward. And Will gave that really interesting quote about coming to the arena and knowing a few things are going to go wrong and still playing through it. This is interesting because I asked what I just told you. Will goes on a little bit of a different answer. I think he 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 was a little um, bummed that his reaction got my, uh, from uh, being upset at Walker was so obvious that I commented on it the next day. And so... Um, He's kind of goes on why that happened and the reaction to that. In the midst of it, he really reveals his thoughts on what he thinks Walker Kessler is capable of, and it's a pretty mammoth statement. So here it is. He seemed to have made a mistake with about two minutes left when Taylor got left on the island against Shea. This is mm-hmm. my question. Sorry, you can't hear it, Greg. Was that because of my reaction? Is that why you thought that? It seems that yeah, it wasn't my best. <laughs> So what does that show you, though, in that sequence of events of his growth and his ability to play forward? Yeah, I think we've talked a lot with Walker. I've spoken to you guys about trying to to help Walker grow into a versatile defender, um, somebody that we can do a variety of things with, because ultimately that's what's going to give you an opportunity to be like a really top-tier defense is – somebody in that spot who can do a couple of different things. Um, we've talked about, you know, maybe switching with Walker some. Um, but another thing that we can do is we can also switch his matchups. And that means that at times he's not just going to be guarding the quote-unquote center of the other team. And at that point in the game, we flipped his matchup to Josh Giddy, who was up on the wing which is not a spot on the floor that Walker is used to guarding somebody. The guys that he generally guards are usually down around the basket or in the corner if they're spaced. So, um, you know, it was it's a, it's a moment of learning for him that, yeah, that's a spot that you're not in all the time, but you're still having, you know, a responsibility to the team to execute the game plan. And on that particular play, he didn't. Um, like, he understands – why I was mad and why I was frustrated about that play because again I I expect a lot from Walker like he has a lot to give and we're trying to help him build his game out on both sides of the ball um you know everybody generally talks about building out your game on the offensive end like oh is he going to shoot more threes is he going to space the court like can he add different moves to his post game but there's a real growth that can happen on the defensive end of the ball too. And so we're, we're just as focused on that because I think, you know, from a long-term perspective, uh, I really believe Walker, somebody you can build a top level defense around and we want to try to keep stretching him and growing him on that side of the ball, just as, as much as we are on the offensive side. So um, I'm going to do a better job of not making it so obvious to you guys when I'm not happy with Walker. Um, But, you know, that's that's just the, the spot that Walker's in. Like, I'm on him because I believe in him and I think that he has a lot to give. 
So the, the comment there that's most interesting is obviously, and maybe you guys had already decided you thought this was true, um, but the idea that we can build a high-level defense around Walker. That's a big statement 60 games into a guy's NBA career and really 19, 18 games into his starting career. He started 19 straight, um, and they fiddled with him starting before, but he started 19 straight. Like, that's... He started 19 games. That's really his run now. He's averaging 11 points, 11 rebounds, three blocks. It's been great. The defensive rating's actually not dramatically better than it was beforehand. But I thought that... And then the concept that you can build out someone's defensive game the same way you build out someone's offensive game is interesting. The first comment might have been the most interesting, which is honestly, it's a reaction into watching Rudy Gobert. What had happened to Rudy Gobert's run in Utah... And what got exploited in against L.A. and Dallas was the Jazz' lack of defensive versatility. They, they really, what, Rudy Gobert is the greatest drop big in the world against the pick and roll and the greatest rim protector in the world. And so people stopped playing pick and roll and they just went five out and drove to the basket because we didn't have a good enough perimeter defenders. And then you're lacking some defensive versatility in Rudy because... Teams don't want to play pick and roll because he's too good and they don't want to have him at the rim because he's too good. And so therefore they do, they move him off the rim and they drive at him. It's it's why the kind of numbers on Rudy suddenly not defending as many plays at the rim are really a little scary if you're Minnesota at this point. From the Jazz standpoint, they're now learning from that. Will Hardy's watched it. He had Robert Williams in, in, um, in Boston last year where they're playing like one through five switching but putting... Wa- putting Robert Williams on the least good offensive player and having him kind of play a one-man zone in the middle, but being able to get out and close and switch if he needs to. And I think that's Will Hardy's, I don't know this for a fact, but I think that's Will Hardy's preference is to play a switching defense if he can with interchangeable parts. And that's going to be really tricky on how do you do that with a seven-foot-one Walker Kessler who's probably more standardly a drop big. My comment at the beginning of the year about Walker was that I thought this was a guy who could become a 24 to... 30 minute a night drop big. Like I thought that there still is 24 to 30 minutes a night of drop big defense in the NBA. Still the right analytical defense protecting the rim. I was texting with an assistant coach in the league last night. You know, like the league is designed to protect the rim and the shots of rim is 1.4 points and the above the break three is 1.05. Like it's getting pretty simple. We're just going to, it used to be that you were just forcing teams in the mid range. Teams aren't taking the mid range shot anymore. Um, they're going to pass out of that and go to their next spot. So the next spot's got to be an above the break three. It's the next, it's the least efficient shot after that. So how do you do that with Walker? Um, it's easy. That's why the drop big's important. But as you get into the playoffs and more and more teams can do more and more things, do you have the versatility uh, of Walker defensively? And that's why you're growing it out. I think it's a really interesting comment by Will for three levels. One, I do think it's a distinct reaction to Gobert and what happened in Utah. I think it's a really interesting concept that you're growing it out. And I do think it's a massive comment for Will Hardy to make the comment that we believe Will Hardy, uh, that Walker Kessler can anchor an elite defensive team. I, maybe we've all seen it. He's blocking all the shots and it seems obvious. I, I still think when the guy's 20 games in his NBA starting to hear that comment's wild. Makes me wonder whether he should be rookie of the year. It really does. All right, uh, late game watches were awesome. I'm so geeked to share them with you. We'll try to do trends. It looks like we're maybe heading past that direction, um, but we'll see what we can do um, in regards to that. So that uh, that's what's coming up. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Bill Bar. The Grasshopper Cookie arrived at the house. Yay! So so darn excited. Um, the uh, 
I love the grasshopper cookie. I was so excited to see back. What makes Built Bar so good? Well, 100% real chocolate. That's right. 100% real chocolate. And then incredible macros. Only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. You can go to Built.com, see all the great flavors that are available. They usually surprise you. They surprised us with uh, the... Uh, Animal cookie, cookie dough. Oh, look at this cookie dough chunk available in puffs today. I just ordered. I I can't have that many built bars in my house. It gets everybody mad. Uh, They also have caramel apple right now, banana cream pie, maple donut. Uh, They had animal cookies, and those were gone in like an hour, I think. Craziness over at Built with the built puffs and the built bars. Um, and they're everywhere now. You can go get them at Sam's Club. You can grab a 13-bar box with uh, brownie batter and churro. You can go to your local Walmart and pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, and coconut puffs. And you can still go to Built.com and use the promo code Locked On. I think Locked On 15. You have to check that for me. Thanks so very much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all platforms and apps and YouTube. Thanks so much. And we are, um, so please give us a five-star review, join the community, do all that kind of fun stuff. Um, Also, we are, um, for your second listen today, Locked on Sports Today is your 22-minute sports uh, recap. All right, let's go to it. This is going to be fun. Uh, I had a great, first thing I would tell you, I watched Boston, Philadelphia, and I watched Phoenix, Milwaukee, and Phoenix, Milwaukee were playing without the two best players in the world. Uh, and Kevin Durant and Giannis Antetokounmpo. So, here's my quick comment. I just, like, this is kind of a Debbie Downer, probably. I don't mean it that way, but... The level of play of the Celtics and the Sixers and the Suns and the Bucks to the rest of the league when I watch late game watches Mammoth. To all the teams that think, oh, we're kind of close. and eh, you're not close. Like, the Jazz, we're not close. Like, don't, like, we're 500, but we're not close. Minnesota, you're not close. Like, I know you got injuries, Carl. No, no, you're not close. Like, you're not, the Warriors right now are not close. Now, maybe Steph comes back and all that changes. But the level of play in that celtic Sixer game and that Phoenix-Milwaukee game, wow. I mean, wow, wow. Lakers-Mavericks, honestly, Dallas, you're not close. Like, there was just a total different level of play. And the Phoenix-Milwaukee was wildly impressive because Giannis and Durant weren't playing. All right, let's go to Sixers, um, Boston, Philadelphia. So for those of you who don't know about this, I'm watching the last, trying to watch the last nine minutes of every close game in the NBA this year. I've missed some, obviously. And then I look at it, kind of share with you. We see some trends. Phoenix did something really interesting defensively. I'll share with you. Um, so Caesar up by 10 with 7-11 left. Um, the Caesar not doubling Embiid, which was interesting. He, the, the two kind of takeaways player personnel-wise from this game is Embiid's the toughest guard in the league. You, you really can't guard him. He's, it's un, he's unstoppable. And I, I don't know what you're supposed to do. And this does make Philadelphia just kind of a beast no matter what in the playoffs is that Embiid is truly unguardable. The other thing on a Philadelphia standpoint, not on the, the second personnel thing is that Jalen Brown's really good. I, I mean, okay, these are all-stars we're talking about, but I, I do think like Tatum's an MVP candidate this year. Like you watch them, you wonder why Boston's good. Their depth is incredible. Like, they're, at one point, they had Derek White, uh, Malcolm Brogdon, Jalen Brown, Grant Williams, and Robert Williams on the floor. And I thought they were going to close with that. Like, seemed like that was a perfectly reasonable thing to do to close with that. Um, obviously, you think Jason Tatum's coming in. I'm like, All right, you wonder who Jason, T- Jason Tatum could check in for any of four guys other than Jalen Brown. Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, Jalen Brown's on the court, Grant Williams, and and. 
Robert Williams. So the first thing is that Tatum's going to check in, and I'm looking at it like he could check in for any of five guys. Like, that's amazing. But then what's crazy to me is that Marcus Smart checks in. Oh, yeah. Al Horford checks in. Oh, yeah. And Jason Tatum checks in. I mean, that's eight bona fide guys that can close games. Totally incredible. Um, Jalen Brown's super good. He just does a lot of things. He's super smart. He, he actually wins this game. You know, you're going to always go look at the last plays and the bombs and the Tatum three. Jalen Brown wins this game because he sneaks behind Joel Embiid with about three minutes left. Embiid's caught it in the post in his ISO, and he sneaks behind and steals it from Embiid and takes it for a dunk. Like, when you've only got seven possessions, eight possessions left on each side, and somebody just steals a possession and dunks on the other side, that's what wins basketball games. And Boston does that. That's also what Philly doesn't do. Philly just wastes so many possessions. And then they lose by three, and you're wondering, well, should we have a shorter guy guarding? We had a short guy guarding Tate. Like, that's the issue. The issue is that James Harden threw a behind-the-back pass with 2.30 left into traffic on a pick-and-roll, and they end up, ball gets kicked out of bounds, they get a short clock, and they don't score. That Joel Embiid's just loose with the ball, and Jalen Brown comes and steals it. Th- those are the things that are costing Philadelphia late in games. Um, I do wonder if James Harden ever goes to the rim anymore. He just, even Van Gundy, Van Gundy was great. Boy, the difference between Mark Jackson and, G- and Jeff Van Gundy is really noticeable. Harden's distributing. I love it. He picks his spots. I give him all this credit. You know, he's evolved his game. Eh, like, I, he's got to be able to go to the rim. He's still got to be able to get on the rim when he needs to. He was used to, in his prime in Houston, he was on the rim 27% of the time. Last year, bouncing around, he was on the rim 23% of the time. This year, he's on the rim 17% of the time. That's concerning to me about Harden. He's got to be on the rim more. Didn't love Malcolm Brogdon's energy, to be honest with you. Worth keeping an eye on. He's always been known to be a little bit mercurial. Um, great set by Boston. Great, great set by Boston with about 312 left. Um, Jalen Brown, I'll see if I can try to explain this. Jalen Brown's on a, in the corner. They run in double stagger for him. So two guys are going to set a pick on a pin down. He goes in between the two picks. Picks Jason Tatum's man, who's the first screener. So you could do this with Lowry as the first screener. Um, you, you, you're running him off. To, Clarkson could be running off the pick. Lowry would be the first pick. And whoever Walker could be the second pick or whoever. Probably it's better if it's Walker. Brown goes in between the two picks and goes and picks Tatum's man. And then Grant Williams, who was the center, would have been Walker, follows right behind Jalen Brown's man and picks him in case he's switching. Tatum pops out behind it for a wide open three. Joel Embiid's the one guarding Grant Williams. He's dropped into the middle of the lane, and so there's no one to come out to Tatum. It's a brilliant play. Tatum hits three. Al Horford is just money. Jason Tatum's making championship plays, tip in, like the exact opposite. Boston wins this game because they made all the little plays, and Philadelphia gave up possessions. Um, Boston really trust each other. Milwaukee really trust each other. Watching these teams that are good, they really trust each other. It's superly impressive. Um, Joe Missoula hung on to all of his timeouts late and it actually turned out to be valuable. On the other end, Doc ends up without any timeouts late. Doc never wastes a timeout. My goodness, the amount of games I've watched this year where he doesn't have timeouts left is crazy. All right, Phoenix, Milwaukee without Durant and without Giannis. Um, Brooke Lopez, again, you, you watch these games and what you realize is there's players on these teams that are way better than people realize. That's why they're winning. Brooke Lopez is way better than anyone realized. In fact, Brooke Lopez, I think, is our dream Walker-Kessler comp. 
I think Brooke Lopez is who we hope Walker Kessler becomes. He averaged 20 points a game at one point. I don't know that Walker has that kind of offensive skills, but boy, is he massively impactful defensively, can do a lot of different things. Such a smart player. He is, if he's your fourth best player, which he probably is in Milwaukee, wow. Chris Middleton might be their fourth best player, and he's great because Brooke Lopez and Drew Holiday are amazing. Um, it was interesting. They're forcing Booker left every single time, and Booker's really evolved to be able to do it, but then on the key play of the game, Drew Holiday got in and knocked it away. Um, Ingles Crowder closing in this one. Ingles is the one guarding Chris Paul, which I think is a large statement of Chris Paul. It also is Joe's length. Um, the Suns did something really interesting in this game. So high pick and roll between Holiday and Lopez because um, and there's two guys on the left side of the floor, one guy on the right. The pick and roll is coming right, so you have the strong side always has the one guy, and then nobody wants to leave that corner, and that's the whole debate. And what we've seen is almost every team in the NBA brings the guy off the far weak side corner and hits the roller. Phoenix was bringing the high guy off the high quadrant guy and hitting Lopez early on the roll, which was really interesting. Milwaukee trusts each other, reacted perfectly, got a wide open Jay Crowder three. I texted a few coaches around the league that I know. Somebody told me that actually Dallas did this a few years ago to Rudy Gobert and really caused the Jazz a bunch of problems with it. So it's not that unusual in the league, but you all, like Minnesota every single time crashes the corner. Almost everybody brings the corner in, so then the pass is always to that corner open three, and then you close, then you rotate to the high quadrant. This time you had to go high quadrant first, much harder pass. It actually got me to go look up some numbers last night. So 1.4% of all passes are turnovers in the NBA. Unless that pass comes from the restricted area. So you've gotten really, really deep and you're throwing a pass in the restricted area. It's a turnover about 7% of the times. For some teams, it's as much as 10 or 11%. And then if you throw a pass in the key, it's a 5% turnover rate. That's really high. Those two numbers are really, really high. Um, So... This is why you suddenly start changing where you're bringing your guy from because you want to make them throw passes they're not certain about in the key, and those are big turnovers. Um, Jay Crowder hits two mammoth threes versus the Suns, which is pretty sweet. Uh, the Bucks bench was bouncing off every single play, loving it, going crazy. Um, really interesting to see that kind of energy um, that they had. Um, Phoenix without Durant's playing Torrey Craig and Josh Okogie you can't do that um, and then this was just high level basketball 102-100 Lopez pick and roll with Holiday Lopez rolls Phoenix defends it perfectly Lopez just so damn good he finishes the play and lays it up and in for a basket and then Holiday um, would not get switched off of Devin Booker they ran three different picks two and a half De- DeAndre Ayton's pick sucked um and Holiday just wouldn't get off Devin Booker. Like, that's championship caliber basketball. Wouldn't get off it. That's the that's what jumped out to me about watching those two games. Those two teams are just way better, playing at a different level, different intensity, different level than everybody else. All right, quickly, Lakers, uh, Lakers, Mavericks, Minnesota, Golden State. Anthony Davis is one of the five best players in the world. Uh, Giannis, Durant, Jokic, Doncic, Anthony Davis. One of the, Joel Embiid, one of the six best players in the world. Uh, Christian Wood makes a lot of bad decisions. Vando was guarding Doncic in this game. Uh, Dallas is just too short. Reggie Bullock was guarding LeBron James and Anthony Davis and got annihilated. Dallas, Dallas's roster composition is not good enough to make a run. They might, it's going to be interesting to see. That pressure feels like it's amping up. They've won one game since they have Doncic and Kyrie together, and they're not making each other better at all. 
The only thing they're doing is that one guy brings it up so the other guy doesn't have to, so Luka's not as tired. And he did run on one possession late, um, which is a little different, but they're just way too small. They're playing Kyrie, Doncic, Holiday, or Hardaway along with Bullock and Powell. They're just way too small. Um, And uh, it's a problem. Now, the Lakers obviously can split. Lakers look good. Dennis Schroeder is not a great point guard. He's not a natural. He's so much better than Russell Westbrook for that team. Um, they look really good. They're coming. Um, Malik and Vando are viable NBA players. They're playing 240 minutes of viable minutes. And Minnesota and Golden State, no Steph, no rooting this one. Minnesota's up 10 with eight minutes left. By 446 left, it's tied. Something's just not right about Minnesota. I got to say, Chris Finch is known as an offensive genius and thought of so highly. I didn't see one single interesting offensive set out of them the whole time. Dante DiVincenzo is face guarding Anthony Edwards. They're making him play four on four and they didn't run any picks to free Anthony Edwards. They didn't run any action to get Anthony Edwards going. Um, really strange stuff to see that. Um, Jonathan Kaminga is getting a lot of praise, playing a lot of minutes. I don't see, his body's brilliant. He's done a nice job defensively. I don't see anything that tells me he's about to become an offensive player. He has no wiggle on his drive. He's just a bully. He got Mike Conley on play. He didn't bully him. He tried to wiggle him and turned it over. He's not a great natural shooter. So I don't know how he's going to set up his offensive game. He's not, like, frankly, a a score on any of three levels other than the rim and just pure power. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo played really, really well in this game. If the Warriors get Steph back and they suddenly have a four-guard rotation of Poole, DiVincenzo, Clay. Clay looks brilliant. He had 42 the other night, 32 in this game. Um, That's really, really good. Um, obviously they're going to get Draymond. I was bummed Mike Conley didn't look like he was impacting the game at all in that one. I mean, really had almost no impact. In fact, almost was such a non-offensive player that it was almost negative for them that they have, that they had him on the floor. wasn't an offensive play. It just kind of grinded. Like they really turned it to Nas Reed who had 32, but that's really not where they should be going on this. All right. That is the late game watch. We'll get to trends. We'll do trends tomorrow. Jazz and the Spurs tomorrow. We'll look at that. I'll watch a few more late games. I love that stuff. Hope you're finding it interesting as well. A little long on the show today. Sorry. See you. Bye.